As Dave said, um, I got the call at 8.30 this morning. And so, and also, and I want to say this, Brandon got the call like just last night. So one thing Dave didn't mention is so many of our um, music team um, is sick too. And of course with Cameron, you know, it was um, August who got ill and so distracted with with August and all those things. But um, uh, the rest of our music team also was the same way. And so Brandon, we call what the Brandon was. Okay, we need you to lead music um, solo. And um, thank you, Brandon. I, I saw him walk up, but thank you, Brandon, so much for doing that. And it's all in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So, you know, Kim's like, well, are you nervous about this? And I'm like, yeah, not really. I mean, it's family, right? We're family. This is as if it was just like this morning, y'all came over for breakfast and said, hey, so Doug, uh, kind of what's, what's God doing in your life? What's he been teaching you? And so that's that's kind of what I'm just going to share with you, um, is just kind of some of the things God's been working on in my heart um, as, we, as, as a group of men have been studying 1 Corinthians together on Tuesday, every other Tuesday night. Um, and so that's been such an encouragement to me. So we're, if you're, if you're I, don't, I, I don't know if we have any visitors, or if you're live stream, you know, we're, we're in, or we do have some visitors. So some of Kim's family is here with us. But we've been studying Luke. We're going through Luke. And we decided we'd take a, a couple of weeks in the new year and just, you know, just kind of have a kind of reset. Talk about, as Dave said, we have, Pat was going to come and just share some things that might help us as we kind of look at the new year and kind of reset our priorities. And so I was thinking about <clears throat> kind of my own thoughts about that, and that's where we're going to go. And um, I'm going to use First Corinthians um, to take us there. Um, I don't know about you, but if I if 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 I mention this, I think a lot of you could relate to this, and that is the closet. How many of you have the closet? You know. I mean, when you, you you know you like when you have company over, right? You get everything ready. Where do you put everything? All the stuff that's around you put, I mean, if you go and open closets, it's like when you go to visit somebody's house, well, I think a taboo is don't open the closet, any closet. And for Kim and I, Kim and I have this ongoing thing about our personal closet up in our bedroom. So there's this closet and it's full of clothes. And Kim, my wife is a great shopper. I mean, she can, she does not, she is not happy unless she finds something of great value and paid very little for it. And it's a wonderful thing. But every time she brings something home, I always say, there's something going out, right? Is there something going out as we're bringing something in? So we have this closet that's just so full of clothes that I'm sure 75% of the clothes that are mine, I don't wear. Um, And so I think everybody has something that can relate to that. And I think when you think about the new year, you think, what is, it in, what is it in our lives that we need to just take kind of a step back, look at our closet, our lives, and say, what is it that I need to really just kind of step back and say, what do I need to, to pull out to get rid of? Um, we have, a, we have um, one other way that the Lord's been working in, in my, well, okay, and I'll add on to that is, so we, <clears throat> for those of you who know, if, if somebody's looking, watching live stream and they, and they don't know, Kim and I have four kids. We have now 16 grandkids, and we're empty nesters, so to speak. But I swear, every one of those rooms, every one of those closets, in every one of those rooms is still full of stuff. 
And we rationalize about keeping it because all the kids come over and the grandkids come over and we need this. And so it's not like one closet. There's like every closet. And it seems like I have this saying with my kids that the more you have, the more that has you. Right. And it's true. And I give them that I give them that that advice. And yet I don't live it very well myself. In fact, Cameron will always be reminding me, hey, dad, you know, you're going to have to practice what you preach. The more the more you have, the more that has you. Um, the other thing that I remind my kids, and you, if, any of you familiar with me have heard me say this, is now that I'm, now that I'm, you know, 2022, right? Can't believe it. I'm 60. I'm like, and I have, I'm like Dave, I'm like, I can't even believe I'm saying that. Um, I tell my kids, you spend the first 50 years of your life accumulating all that you can. You spend the next 20 trying to downsize and get rid of a lot of things. And then you pass away. And your kids come and they look at your stuff that you left and they say, we got to get rid of all this junk. Right? Not a sad way to live. I mean, and think about it, and yet we get so caught up in that. And for the young people that are here, I'm telling you, it's true. It's just true. You think about all that you can collect in life. You're, you're so bombarded with the marketing and everything, and you're collecting all this stuff only as life comes along to be be thinking, oh, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't need all this stuff. And then when you pass, you're like, you've left everything. <laughs> the only thing you get to take into eternity are your relationships with people, because people are eternal in the Word of God, right? And that's what's important, are people and the Word of God. So another way the Lord's been working in my life, and just, just to bring this, just to make this point, and then we'll pray and we'll go to the text, um, is this. So <clears throat> we, if you know us, we have a, a home that's a rental home. And it's not that I'm a good landlord. I am a terrible landlord, and I hate being a landlord. Um, but it's a home that we have for our kids to help our kids, um, um, and a nice way for us to try to keep our grandchildren in the same neighborhood that we live in. So we recently had a home that was vacated, and the family that was in it, there was a crisis, and they had to leave quickly, and they left quickly. And what they took fit into maybe a van or two. And what they left is going into a 20-foot or 25-foot by 8-foot by 6-foot dumpster. And it's just to, and so the Lord's been working as, now, now I'm conf, I'll, I'll confess, I've had a hard time with this. I'm like, I can't believe. And yet God has been teaching me, look at your own life. Look at your own stuff. Consider your own, the, the things that you pursue in life and ask yourself, what really you need to be committing your time to? What really do you, need, do you need to have in your home? And so those are just a couple of examples of things that have been going on in my life as I kind of, as we kind of go into this new year <clears throat> and we're thinking about what is it that matters. If you were with us last week, we were in um, Luke. Um, Brian was preaching and um, couple of points from Luke 12 that hopefully are still fresh in your mind. Um, Christ, uh, Christ um, gives um, the parable of the rich young fool. And here are the three points that came, from that, that came from that passage that I had written down. One's life does not consist of an abundance of possessions, right? We should have heard that loud and clear for the past couple of messages as you were here sitting, sitting under the preaching of God's word. Um, the other one was in verses 22 and following from Luke 12 is to seek the kingdom of God. Anxiety comes from the wrong pursuits. If you're anxious, if you are anxious, if you find yourself filled with anxiety, it's because you're pursuing the wrong things. 
Right? That's true in my life. It's faith and trust in God that leads us to godly pursuits. It's a confidence in Him that, that gives us peace and lets us rest and trust in God, in the pursuit of godly things. And then thirdly, and this was really was last week's message, so this was maybe the week before that, but last week's message was be ready, right? Be ready. So be dressed for action. We're called to action, and keep your lamps burning to be ready for Christ's return. Christ is coming back. That is our hope. Our hope is in Christ and in His return. And so we should be ready. And our lives should be actively pursuing the right things, the things that matter, storing up treasures in heaven. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you kind of some of the points, that, the main points that I want to make that I've been thinking about. We're going to read the text, and I want you to see that in the text. Then we're going to go to another text. I'll make a point or two. We'll read that text. And then we'll, we'll do the same thing. We're going to do three texts. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to 1 Corinthians 5. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 11. So if, um, for those of you who've heard me up here at this platform preaching before, you know I love it when you reach down and grab a Bible, or if you have a Bible and you open it up. If you use your phone, that's distracting to me because I don't know if you're checking out something on Facebook or if, you, or if you're um, or interacting in some other way. But if you grab a, I grab a Bible, and I'm sorry for those of you, I know that you're comfortable using your phones. I'm old-fashioned, it's just me. But if you, so if you grab a Bible, I know you got your Bibles open. And my dependence is upon the Holy Spirit. He speaks through His Word, and it encourages me to know that you're looking at the same Word that I'm looking at. So open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's go um, to the Lord. In prayer. Can we do that, Father? Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us your word so we might know you and know you better and be drawn closer to you. Thank you that your word is sharper than any two edged sword. And thank you that your word is designed so that it is an encouragement to us. And thank you that your word is designed so that it's a rebuke to us. So where there is sin in my life, Father, I pray that you would point that out and that you would weed that out of my life because my sin hurts others and my sin violates your character. So point that out in my life. And where I need encouragement, um, where, we, where we're frustrated or, or we're discouraged, I pray that your word would encourage us because you're sovereign over all things. So may we open your word, may we look at your word, may we take encouragement from it, may we take rebuke from it, and may it all be to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I, don't, I, I guess if there was to be a uh, message title um, for this message, it would be um, um, having a body... Mentality, having a body mentality, going through the year, new year with a body mentality. And um, Tom rephrased that in a different way this morning. So I was kind of talking with, um, with um, a couple of guys as we were praying was um, thinking body centric. I actually like that better. Thinking body centric. OK, um, so as we talk about going through the new year and we think about all the things, our hopes and dreams or what are the new year, the encouragement. I hope your encouragement is an encouragement to the person of Jesus Christ. And having a body, that is the body of Christ, the local body, 
letting that be central in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now here's the point. So I'm going to make the points first, and then we're going to read it together, and hopefully those will jump out um, for you. Here's the point. What you are saved from and what you are saved to are two, uh, what you are saved towards or to are two b- very different things. We're saved from sin. We're saved from our self-centeredness. We're God-haters and self-lovers. What Christ has done has He's saved us from that. But that's not where it ends. And most people who sit in churches today, it's kind of a Jesus and me mentality. It's it, they have no concept of what we are saved to. We are saved to the body of Christ. We are saved to the body of Christ. It's the local church. It's the local church. And it's what Christ is doing. Christ has ascended. He is returning. But what he is, he is very present in the local church. That's the body of Christ. And that's what we have been saved to. Christ said in Matthew 16, and Peter, when addressing, addressing the disciples, and he said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. And he said, yes, and it's upon that rock, that rock, that truth, that I will build my church. We live in a culture that is very individualistic. I mean ultra-individualistic. You, when you watch a commercial, when you're looking at products that are sold, they are sold to you as an individual. It works for the culture that we live in for you to think individually. That works. You buy insurance for that reasons. You, everything that's marketed is marketed because you, because you think individually. That works for this culture, and that will be perpetuated. That is not how we were created. God did not create us as individuals to ourselves. And we even intend to interpret Scripture that way. When you read through the epistles, and you, or any of the Scriptures, or especially the epistles, it says, and you, Paul says, writing into you, you read that as to you, as if you. But he's not saying you individually. He's saying you corporately. He is speaking to the church. And, we, and, yet, and yet because of the culture, because, because, of, um, uh, because of our self-centered thinking, we even read the you because we, in the Greek they would have been able to see that. We can't see that. If we said y'all, that would have been better. If we, if we used y'all in, in Scripture, if we, you know, if we translate that way, it would help us. They could see the difference. We can't. We still tend. Um, to interpret it that way. So what you're saved from and what you're saved to are two very different things. Um, your participation in the, lo- in the local church contributes to the mission and the commission of Christ to make disciples. The commission was given to the church. Christ's commission to his, disi- to his disciples to make disciples, to go and proclaim the gospel, was given to the local church. And that's how we should think of it. Your lack of participation in the local church hurts the body of Christ. Hear me on this, please. There's no neutral ground. Either you are participating in the local church, or you are not participating in the local church. And I don't mean coming on Sunday morning and sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair listening to a Sunday morning message and saying, that's my participation. That's not the kind of participation I'm talking about. And we'll, and we'll read that as we go through 1 Corinthians 12. There's no neutral ground. You, you either are participating or you aren't. And, and if you're not and you are a believer, you're hurting the church. Now, it's very possible if you're not participating, it's because you're not a believer. 
you just, you just come to church for whatever reason. Maybe it's fire insurance. You know, it could be fire insurance, right? Um, that's the individualistic thinking. The just, you know, I'm just saved. It's what I'm saved from, not thinking about what I'm saved to. I'm saved from hell and the condemnation. And so um, I can just kind of go live my life the way I want to. But that's not what Scripture teaches. We are saved to the local church and to participation as the, in, the, in the body, as members of the body in the local church. So your lack of participation or your refusal to participate in the local church hurts the body of Christ. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now there is a lot here. We're going to read through the whole of the chapter. There's a lot here, but the points that I just made, I want you to see Paul making those same points. I don't need to give any examples because he gives examples. And I, I love it. You know, as you're going through this, you, Paul gives the principles and then he gives the examples. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. So brothers, so he's speaking to members of the body, the local church. I, <clears throat> I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, but the same spirit. Circle variety, point that to gifts. There are a variety of gifts. There is diversity in the church body. Thank the Lord, right? There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, one spirit. And there are a variety of services, right? So those gifts gener- are, express themselves in service to one another. The same Lord, and there are a variety of activities. So we go from gifts to service to activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So all of that comes in the power of God. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Circle each. Each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are, if, if you are, if you are a disciple of Christ, you have been given a manifestation of the Spirit in the form of these gifts, ways to serve one another. And then circle or underline for the common good. Understand it's not about you. It's for the common good. It's for one another. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now he's just gonna he's gonna give some list of some examples, okay? And another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith in the same spirit, to another gifts of healing in one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who are portions to each one individually as he wills. All right? Gifts that we're given are for the common good of each other, for the thriving of the local body. They are apportioned by the Spirit, by God. We don't get to choose that. God does that. And it's all by his will. He's sovereign over all those things. For just as the body is one. Now Paul's going to illustrate his point, all right? Here's the, here's the simple illustration. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, one body of Christ, okay? 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were to made to drink of one, of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one members, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So you can't deny that you're not important. Well, man, you know, the foot can't say, nah, I'm not a hand. Um, I'm not really a part of the body. I'm going to do my own thing, right? Mm, Paul says, not so, not, not so easy. <clears throat> and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, <clears throat> I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You can't deny that you're part of the body and a necessary, a necessary part of the body. If the whole, if the whole body were to eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged. Notice who has done this. God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chooses. There's a recurring theme. It's appointed by God. It's by his choice. <clears throat> if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The only illustration I can think of when I think of if all, if all, if all um, were a single member is from what Star Wars. Yeah, right? You, you, you watch Star Wars and you see these creatures that they make that look like one part of the body. <laughs> one eye. or one, it's, just, it's completely out of balance. That's the illustration I think of when I, when, when I see that. But, the, but Paul's point is, every part of the body is important. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So prior, you can't say, hey, I'm not important, I'm not needed. Now Paul goes and says, well, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't have need of you. So others can't say to other members of the body, eh, yeah, yeah, you're really not needed. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We can't say that to one another. Everyone in this body has a need. And if you're either participating or you're not participating. If you're participating, you're helping the body. If you're not participating, you're hurting the body. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we would bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. You know, I was thinking about this. So you guys know, like four weeks ago, I had this terrible back pain, right? I mean, I was sitting right here, and boom, it hit me. And I just, I couldn't even stand up. Okay. Turns out it was one of those unpresentable parts of my body. It was actually a muscle in my rear end, you know. It's kind of one that moves this way. I don't know. I, I, don't, I can't remember the name of it. Somebody said it. Piriformis. Is that it? Thank you. Someone who knows, has had the same pain, knows the name of that and it's a muscle that runs, it runs laterally here under a bigger muscle. You can't see it. It's not all that. But I tell you what, when that thing cramped up, my whole body, my entire body was in pain. And I knew it. And suddenly that became the most important part of my body to me. Because it was suffering and suffering big time. So when one of us suffers, we all suffer, Paul is saying. They're that important. So even the, even the parts of our body that we don't pay much attention to, and that's one of them. I haven't paid attention to that part of my body for 60 years. It hasn't bothered me one bit. Suddenly became a very important part 
of my body. So, Paul says, <clears throat> finding my place here, it was a, that was a long sentence. Our unpresentable parts are treated with, with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, the same appreciation for one another, and care for one another. If one member suffers, I get this, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. And then, and then sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 is a text you hear at a wedding about love. And yet in its context, it has all to do with love within the body. Right? So that text that you are so used to hearing about what love is, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in, the, in, in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That is given in the context of us, right here in the body, Community Bible Church. Or if you're a member of another local body and you're visiting, it's, it, that is in the context of how we are to respond to one another in our local body. And yet we only tend to study that or hear that when we're at a wedding, and yet it applies to the church. Um, so our participation in local church contributes to the mission or commission of Christ. Paul makes that clear. And just using our human body as an example to say, hey, let that be the example of how you're to function in the body. And our lack of participation in that body hurts the body. Okay? All right. Next point. First Corinthians. So let's, let's, go, let's go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5, a passage you're probably very familiar with. <clears throat> Here's the main point, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. Sin in your life affects everyone around you. There are no private sins. There are no private sins. And we're going to read through this. Now let me say this. Sexual immorality, and that's, the, that's what Paul is dealing with here, is not a private sin. It's not a private sin. That's the lie of the enemy. Anytime you are, anytime you're in sin and the enemy's telling you, ah, you know, it's just, it's just you, it's not affected anybody. When you just write that down as a big lie of the enemy, that is not the truth. There are no private sins. Every sin affects you. I know when talking with young guys who aren't even married, and I'm talking to them about pornography, I'm saying, you are hurting your wife. You are hurting your kids. You're hurting your church. And they're like, they never thought of that. They're like, that's, that's a private sin. I can view porn. I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody. 
That's a lie of the devil. There are no private sins. Every sin, every sin affects those around you. And it just goes concentrically out, right? And, the, and, and here's another sub-point I want to make too. Sin always has consequences, and consequences always reverberate through the lives of others around us. Sin always has consequences. What is it about <clears throat> the church in general, believers in general, that I, you know, I've come to Christ, I know Christ, I've confessed my sin to Christ, and I'm a believer now. And then their life is, there's no confession. You don't see confession. We're not confessing our sins. To God and to one another, when we sin against each other, it's kind of like, oh, I came to Christ. I'm, it's again, it's what I'm saved from, but nothing about what I'm saved to. It's, I, I, I'm, I, you know, it's, it's sin. No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Everybody, just move along. No, no problem here. We continue as long as we're in the flesh. There is sin that we are having to deal with, and the more we're in God's word, guess what? The more you're in God's word, the more it shines light on that sin. So if you, if you don't want the light to shine on your sin, stay out of God's word, because that's what it's going to do. It's going to shine the light on sin in our lives. And we need to be confessing that sin to one another. And, and the consequences of our sin reverberate into the lives of others around us. I've given this example before. King David, when Nathan came to him, and judgment was pronounced on King David as to his sin with Bathsheba, Read. Go back to the Second Samuel. I think Second Samuel, or this. this well, I think Second Samuel. Read what Nathan said. This is what the rest of your life is going to look like. You, there's going to be division in your home, and he he laid out the consequences of the sin. Somehow we think that if we ask God to forgive us of our sin, there is no consequences. We can violate the law of the harvest. That's not true. We confess our sin because our sin is first and foremost against God. We violate His character. And we sin against each other. And we have forgiveness of sin. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We have that forgiveness. But we must, we must accept the consequences of our sin and ask God to let us walk by grace and mercy through that sin. And guess what? You guys are going to have to walk by grace and mercy through my sin too because my sin is going to affect this body. Right? I'm an elder in this church don't think the enemy has a big bullseye. On the elders in this church, on the leaders, on the teachers, on the husbands, you don't think, and you don't think the enemy's patient enough to just wait. He can just wait. I tell, my, I, tell, I tell young guys, I'm the most at risk because the greater collateral damage comes out of Satan taking me down. You could be a young man. Satan's got all the time in the world. He can wait. And we'll just deal with that. We'll just let that sin in your life just kind of, yeah, just, we'll just nurture it along. It's not harming anybody. And, and it, just, it, just, it just, deal with it. Deal with it. The enemy's patient. You would love to wait until you're a father of five or six or a leader in a church of 50 or a or hundred or a thousand. Look at the guys in the media today who are leading churches and you, watch, and you watch what happens. You don't think the enemy's just patiently waiting? Sin has consequences. 
David's sin had consequences in his life, and it affects the people around us. And the more we understand that, and the more we get that, I think the more, the more careful we are. I mean, we ought to be motivated alone by the fact that we're violating God's character in every sin. We are spitting in his face. But we are also hurting people around us. Sin has consequences. My relationship with Kim matters to this church. It should. We had two weddings. Is that last year? I can't say last year. It's 2022. We had two weddings. We had two COVID weddings in 2020. And when I gave my, those, each of those two daughters away, I went and I was addressing them. I stood up. And one thing I said to each one of them, I can remember this because I'm feeling it now, is I said, your marriage is not your own business if you're part of the body of Christ. It's not. And, and I was trying to help them understand that their relationship, as we're a family of families, this new family that's formed as they come together becomes then part of the family of families. It affects this family of families. So our marriage, our marriages matter. My relationship with my wife matters. When I dishonor my wife by saying something to her, I'm hard, I, and I don't deal with it. If I don't deal with it right then and there, then the enemy has a foothold and it creates issues in my marriage, which are going to create issues in this family. There are no private sins, all right? Are we okay with that? Are we okay with that? Um, because sin, and sin always has consequences and always has consequences, and those consequences are felt throughout the body of Christ. Now I'll read this real quickly. Um, I've got a little time. So let's read this. 1 Corinthians 5. Let's see, if what I, let's see if the points that I made from 1 Corinthians 5 apply. It's actually reported, Paul says to the church at Corinth, that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. I mean, that's bad. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Oh, we just love everybody here at the Corinthian church. We're just... It's just all about love. We don't need to deal with that. You're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him, has, let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan, for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Just, just notice, um, it's a brother. And Paul's desire is that his spirit be saved, be rescued for the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good, Paul says. It's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Oh, Really? Yeah, so don't you know that just a little sin in your life affects the whole body, the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you already are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote <clears throat> to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. 
since you would have no need to go out into the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, is an idolater, a reviler, drunkard, or a swindler. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So, our sin, there is no private sin. Our sin affects others around you. And we're to deal with that in our lives and in the, and in the church family. Finally, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, and we're going to kind of close with this um, as we go into the Lord's Supper. Um, but here's the point. Here's the main point I'm, I want you to think about. Our celebration of communion is both a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we come as a family, we do this in this church, we celebrate communion every Sunday when we come together, okay? When we do that, it's a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's also a demonstration of the unity that we have in Christ because of who we are in Christ. And so we, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, where Paul again is dealing with the Corinthian church. Now, back in Corinth, they didn't have, um, the early churches didn't have big fancy churches like we have. And they, they, they met at homes and probably larger homes because that's where they could get together in a larger group. But as they were in, and they celebrated with a meal. And so the, the communion, the meal was a, was a part of that. Okay. Now, we, we do that um, um, together as a family, um, not as part of a big meal, but a small meal that we just take together, just the juice and, and the cup that's here. We, we celebrate it. Um, they celebrate it as part of its total fellowship in, in getting together that included the meal, okay? And so Paul, and, and things had gone wrong, okay? Things had gone really bad, and Paul is scolding the church. You know, I used to think the church was, I used to think of Corinthians, the church with all the problems. And, you know, more I've studied, I'm like, the church that's just like our church, you know? It's kind of like every church is, you know, has got, has got problems and different issues, and Paul deals with that. And that's why, we're, that's why God's given us his word so that we can deal with those um, as, as a church family. But the, the point is, our celebration of communion is both a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we are, we are celebrating what Christ has done for us and who we are in Christ. It's also a demonstration of the unity and, and the um, body-centric thinking that we should have together, okay? This is where we demonstrate that body-centric th thinking, okay? So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Go to verse 17. Um, and we'll start with verse 17. <clears throat> but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Okay, so this is not a commendation. This is, Paul's upset with these folks. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worst. Okay, that's not a good thing. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So that's his first thing. He says, there's, first of all, there's divisions among you. There's divisions in the body. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you to be recognized. 
When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, and now this is the accusation. He's saying this isn't what you're doing. You're not celebrating the Lord's Supper when you come together for this meal. Um, so this is like saying, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. That you eat for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So everybody's just doing their own thing. Everyone goes with his meal. One goes, and one goes hungry, and another gets drunk. That was their fellowship together. That's how they were fellowshipping together. What what norm, what had originally been set out as a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper and being together and sharing that meal, this is what was happening. People were going on eating, filling themselves. Others were going hungry. Some were getting drunk. Not good. I believe it in part, for there must... Uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, what? Do you not have houses to eat in, to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord. Now, problem stated. I just stated the problem. Paul just stated the problem, solution, and the example of Christ. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of Christ, the Lord's death, until he comes. That's the purpose. We're proclaiming what Christ has done until he returns. And we will do that until he returns. That's the purpose. However, therefore, whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with, the, along with the world. For the one who eats, back up to 29, for the one who eats and drinks without discerning the body. So a lot of times you hear about this as if from the Jesus and me mentality. Oh, this is just a private thing. I'm thinking about my sin. God forgive me. Then we finish and we'll go home, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about your physical body here. Let me read this again to you. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, the whole context is about the body of Christ. It's all about discerning, is there sin? Is there sin in my life that's affecting others? Is there disunity? Are there divisions? Is, is the, the thought as we come, as we're about to celebrate the Lord's table here, the thought is, is there something in my life that's harmful, hurting the church? Is there sin that's affecting the church? And, and um, that's creating divisions or bitterness or all of, any of those things that break apart that unity of Christ. And so then, my brothers, he says, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. But the other things, I will give directions when I come. And so as, when we, as we come and we take the Lord's Supper, 
and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's what we want to do. It's all about the body. As you think about going into this next year, my encouragement to you is to think about how central is the church, is my participation in the church part of what my plans are for 2022? Okay? Are you, are you participating in the church? Are you actively involved in the evangelize, the establish, the equip, and the expansion, the purpose of this church, Community Bible Church, as we look to be used by God? to evangelize the unsaved both locally and through, and through missions, through our involvement in missions around the world, to establish people in the church. There are, young, there are people who either are coming, have come to know the Lord, or who just babies who sit in a church where they're not grown at all and need to be established in the church and understand this body mentality. We should be, we should be doing that. That's establishing one another in the church. And then equipping. Equipping is part of what we're doing. Equipping us... Um, to serve one another, to serve the body of Christ, whether it be in teaching or in service or whatever gift that God has given us that he has proportioned for us by his will, by his determination. And then expanding. So as a church grows, then expanding, whether that be locally or just in our ministry to other churches around the world, helping them. That is our goal. And so we should be thinking as we come, as we come to communion, thinking about celebrating the, what God has done for us same, at the same time, thinking about the body. We need to discern the body. Think about the body, the local body, and our, and our participation in that or involve that in it.